Good morning, church. Good morning, Rebirth. Can you hear me on this? Dean says a little louder. How's that, Dean? <laughs> I am so humbled every time I, I get to, to stand here that um, the Lord would use me. What an honor to be able to stand here and share the word of God. Amen. Amen. We don't uh, take it lightly. It really is a privilege, really is an honor to stand here this morning. Pastor Wayne and his beautiful wife are in the house this morning. Amen. We give you honor, sir. I'm, I'm so humbled every time I see you. You are sowing into the kingdom, sowing into marriages, showing us what God's idea of marriage should be. We are so far removed from God's idea. Uh, the MMI couples, we've heard so much um, already. We know you guys have two more lessons to go, but we've heard so, so much. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for, for your faithful labor into the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So this morning, if you've been journeying with us, you know we've been journeying in the book of um, Psalms. We do expository preaching. And we've gotten to the point of where we've gotten to Psalm 5 already. Um, who's journeyed with us from Psalm 1 to Psalm 5 already? Amen. Glory, glory, glory. So if you want to, to uh, get any more background as to what we've taught on how we've gotten to where we are, please do access our Podbean app where you can get the gist of what we've taught on. So I'm going to touch on a few things but not go in-depth into um, anything that we've done before. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm so overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy this morning. Lord, I'm, I'm really humbled and honored to be able to stand and, and share your word. Father, I pray that you lead me this morning. Let it not be the eloquence of man, but the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks and touches hearts this morning. Father, we pray for fertile ground. Oh Lord, that you would speak to the very hearts of your people. This is all about you, all about giving you glory and getting us sanctified in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so as promised, uh, we head into the Psalter, the book of Psalms, and we'll be heading into uh, Psalm 3, like we've said. Just a bit of an origin, back, uh, background. We know that the entire collection of Psalms as titled in the Hebrew text was called the Book of Praises. When it was then translated, uh, the Greek of the Old Testament, then they labeled it Psalms. The Greek verb psalmos uh, talks to the plucking or the twanging of strings. So it gives an idea that you're going to have an accompaniment of musical instruments with that. Okay, So it wasn't meant to be... Um, prayed silently to yourself. It was meant 
to sing, to worship, to pray out loud, out loud with musical instruments. Amen. So, there's a lifeless, or sorry, a timeless quality uh, to the Psalms. It's as relevant today as it was back then. And I'm going to read two uh, famous quotes on the book of Psalms that I've shared before, but are so, so apt for the book uh, or, or Psalms 5 that we're going to get into today. So one is from Martin Luther. He says, in the Psalms, we look into the heart of every saint. And if we even think of heart and saint and put it together, you start thinking holy, blameless, and all of those things. But you'll soon find out that the hearts of the saint are not what we think it is all the time. Okay? But there's more. There's more. John Calvin said, in the Psalms, we look into a mirror and see our own hearts. So I want you to keep these things in mind today when we delve into the Psalms, when we are looking at the saint who is writing and think about our own hearts, the saints as we call ourselves. So the overall purpose of the Psalms is to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Amen. Amen. So as we know and we've seen before, we've got 150 Psalms. And each of those psalms are divided into five books linked to the Torah. So we are still in book one. As you can see on screen, Psalms 1 to Psalms 41 are all in book one. Okay? So linked to the Torah, linked to the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So today... Um, or, or, or rather before we even get there at the end of every psalm at the end of every book rather okay so 1 to 41 book 1 you're going to get a doxology at the end of that doxology as we can remember as we've taught before has a specific structure you'll have the person who's being praised the word of praise the indication of time and the word amen Okay. And as we can see here, with regards to the person being prayed and the word of praised, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, the indication of time from everlasting to everlasting, and the word Amen. You with me? Amen. So, as we've said, aligned, the book of Psalms are aligned with the Torah. We are in the first book, so this is aligned with Genesis. Okay? And the emphasis of mankind's relationship with God is what we are looking at. So we've got, with, with regards to the Psalms that we're going to be interpreting, which is Psalm 5 today, we've got to look at it in two, at, uh, rather at two levels. First, at the Psalm in its own right, and then the Psalm in context to the book. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 5 in its own right and in the context of emphasis of mankind's relationship with God. Amen. Amen. So, the first, just a little bit of a recap here. The first Psalm doesn't open with a prayer or a hymn. Remember just now we said accompaniment by musical instrument. Doesn't open with a, a Psalm or a song and or a hymn or a prayer, it starts or begins with a beatitude. 
here at the very threshold um, of the Psalter, we get asked as the readers to consider a, a life lesson that the way we live life is instrumental as to how life turns out. Okay? Now, this beatitude is not where it is by chance. It's literally an introduction to the rest of the book. It invites us, the reader, to use the entire book as a guide, use the entire book as a guide for a blessed life. Amen. So, we've got Psalm 1 starting with a beatitude. Then, we've got Psalm 2 that ends with the beatitude. So you've got the beginning starting with blessed is the man and Psalm 2 ending with blessed are all. So these two Psalms are serving as an introduction to the rest of the book. You've got double doors at, um, existing as an introduction to the book. Then after Psalms 1 and 2, so we've got a wisdom Psalm, Psalm 1, Psalm 2 is a royal Psalm. Then we get introduced to the voice of prayer. We get introduced to the voice of prayer in the form of lament psalms, individual lament psalms. And as we've heard before, this type of psalm covers about two-thirds of the psalm books. And like Pastor Bevan said before, because people like to complain. But not just that. Life happens. We go through things. Life is tough. Like we go through seasons, right? So here we've got Psalm 3 and 4, the prayer, the voice of lament that is being heard. And like we said, this is, is, is heard for almost two-thirds of the book of Psalms. It's also an, uh, a, a personal and an individual uh, lament given in the first person. All right? So if we remember Psalm 3 was attributed to David fleeing from Absalom. Okay? Some people talk about Psalm 4 being um, an extension of that and, and Psalm 5 as well. But we'll get into those. Right, so right now, what I want to do is go into Psalm 5. Now, and I'm leaving that picture up there for a while so you can see all the instruments. We do know why, why the instruments are there, right? Okay, and I'm going to ask the question that Pastor Bevan asked last night. Who's read the book of Psalms 5? Or, or, or Psalms 5, rather. I see some hands, I see some hands. Glory. Pastor Bev, people are reading. Should we test? No, okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be reading this morning. Um, let's do a test. How many stanzas in, in Psalm 5? Any takers? Those who have read. <clears throat> okay. Um, somebody uh, whispered five, I heard you. Um, there's five stanzas in the book of Psalms, guys. Okay, that's the last uh, of the questionnaires, I promise. <laughs> so, we're going to be reading this, this morning, um, and as you can see, as we have on screen, we've got um, some words that are highlighted, and then some words in red, which appear in other translations, which I've added just to give context and understanding to what we're reading. Amen? Amen. 
So Psalms 5 in the first stanza, if you have an, a New King James Version, the title there is A Prayer for Guidance. If you have an ESV, it says, lead me in your righteousness. The superscription, which you see on screen, this is to the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. So the chief musician, some supposed to be the Lord God himself. Um, others say leader of choirs or musicians in David's time. So let's read the word of God. Amen. You can follow in your Bibles as well, if you like. Psalms 5. So, give ear to my words, O Lord, or listen to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Consider my lament or my groaning. Give heed or give attention to the voice of my cry, to my cry for help. My King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you. Or, in other words, I will lay my requests before you. And I will look up. Or, I will wait expectantly. The second stanza. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, so you are not pleased by wickedness. Nor shall evil dwell with you. So evil people are not welcome in your presence. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. So the arrogant or the foolish. You hate all workers of iniquity. You hate all evildoers. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood or who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. The third stanza. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy or by your great love. In fear or in reverence, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Or lead me, O Lord, in the right path or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way straight before my face, or make your way plain for me to follow. The fourth stanza. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction, which means their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their throat is an open tomb meaning their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. They flatter with their tongue, so they tell lies. Pronounce them guilty, O God. So declare them guilty, O God, or destroy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel, or let them be caught in their own traps or schemes. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. So cast them out because of their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. The fifth stanza. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them or you protect them, you cover them or you shelter them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. 
With favor you will surround him as with a shield or you will cover him with favor. So the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Amen. So Psalm 5, as we know, is a lament psalm. It's a psalm of uh, complaint. And as we've shared before, you have a particular uh, structure to a lament psalm. It's an individual lament psalm, Psalm 5. So we will see God being addressed, the Lord being addressed, and an introductory uh, petition. We'll see the lament or the complaint that is being brought to the fore. A confession of trust in God or in the Lord. We'll see the, uh, uh, the, the actual petition, a more detail to that. We'll see a vow of praise. And then we'll see thanksgiving in anticipation of the lament or the complaint being heard. Amen. So you can look out for those as we go through the lament psalm. But now, within a lament psalm, there's a, a, a subcategory called imprecatory psalms. Okay? Now, imprecatory psalms express lament, but then they also petition God to curse enemies. Right? They call for judgment. So you've got these laments of these complaint psalms, but the subcategory is going a little further. Lord, I'm complaining, but I'm not stopping there. I curse them. Bring judgment on them. That is an imprecatory psalm. Psalm 5 is one of those. So in a world where we preach against hateful speech, one could be inclined to look at this in the Bible and think, hey, this is a little bit of an uncomfortable one. Don't understand it. I'll just skip this part. Okay? I'll just skip this part. Doesn't make sense. Now, Pastor Bevan has been very busy on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen. He's uh, been putting up things, how not to read the Bible. Has, has anybody seen that? Okay. And uh, two of them. One, is, one of them was... Um, the tendency to take a scripture for the day, right? The other one was the tendency to skip over scripture that we don't understand. Now, with an imprecatory psalm, can you see how dangerous this is? If you decide to pick a scripture for the day and you come to all of this, hey, Lord, curse them. Bring judgment. It's in the Bible. I, I'm, I'm on my high horse. Today you will know me. Huh? Today you will know. Now, very dangerous. Or the other side of uh, those things we don't understand, let's stay away from them. Okay? We don't want to do all of those things. Can I make it a little hotter in this room? Check this out. Here's an example, another example of an imprecatory psalm. And this is why we don't take things out of context. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it very quickly. So Psalm 109 from verse 6 to 15 is an imprecatory psalm. Think about this. If this was your take out or your devotional scripture for the day. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. 
Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from, from their desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has. And let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Nor let there be any favor to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them continually be before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. How is that for your inspirational scripture for the day? <laughs> but we've got to remember that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. The New King James Version said, it's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for a good work. Oh, imprecatory psalms, you've got to love them. Got to love them. But why, why, why? We've got to ask why. So Beale lists a few purposes or functions of imprecatory psalms. First, they remind us that life can get really bad. Pain and suffering can leave the sufferer feeling no recourse but to demand action, even vengeance. Secondly, these psalms reveal a desire for justice and the conviction that God is a just king who can provide that justice. Thirdly, imprecatory psalms remind us that violence nestles in the heart of every man. Fourthly, imprecatory psalms remind us that we might, in, the se in our secret hearts, wish bad things against our enemies. But vengeance does not belong to us. So, we've really got to take heed when we get into the imprecatory psalms, when we get into the word of God, and we've got to make sure that we rightly divide the word of God. Amen? Amen. So, I'm not going to get into this. Is that um, clear for you on the screen? Okay, so I'm not going to get into this where we're going to uh, have a back and forth about who the author is. Um, there is commentaries who go back and forth. I'm going to go with a psalm of David. Is that all right? Yeah. Amen. So we've said the author is a psalm of David. And let's then provide some uh, theme and background uh, to this. So there's a, a, a particular predicament in the psalm of David. The power of the lie which threatens the life of the faithful. So some commentaries look at Psalm 5 as an extension or continuation of Psalm 3 and 4. So we remember the saga of Absalom, David fleeing from Absalom um, because of 
uh, Absalom's betrayal. So some commentaries say that Psalm 3 was the first night in exile, Psalm 4 was uh, the, 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 the night, and Psalm 5 being the next day, when he's now expanding on what he's going through, his experience, but with clearer and more mature thoughts on the subject. Others basically muse that this could have been written at any point in time in David's life. David had series of ups and downs in his life, a series of seasons in his life like any of us do. Amen? Okay. So we know that David's experience started very humbly, very lowly. Okay. Then he rose uh, to, to, to some favor in his life. Then he was once again uh, brought down. Let me just see where we are in the notes. So he dropped down to a fugitive status. He rose to royalty once again. Then he experienced disloyalty, lies, people coming against him, and all of these things, right? The constants in, in, in David's life was this. The faithful and redeeming love of God never left him through all of those ups and downs that he went. So whether he was a king with a castle or a king without a castle, as sometimes we might find ourselves, the redeeming love of God was never far from him. Amen? And this is, this is something we can take out for our own lives as well. So the psalm permits and encourages believers or kingdom citizens to resort to prayer when you are going again, or when the lies of this world, the lies of the enemy are coming against you. I know some of us are more inclined to, to, to resort to um, our own forms of justice. But the psalm here in this case, as we'll see, resorts to prayer to God. Amen? Amen. So, Psalm 5 as we have on screen, basically starts out with a series of petitions or assertions uh, to God. And we see, so you've got a series of petitions, you've got a substantive clause which basically supports the petition, and you've got them joined by these, what they call conjunctions. Remember that from English. A conjunction is a joining word. Yeah, we, we, we remember that. A conjunction is a joining word. Right. So you have these petitions or assertions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, substitute the conjunction. Also, we can use because. Okay. So give ear to my words, Lord. Why? Because to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning. Why? Because you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. So talking about why I can come into your presence. Okay? Lead me, O Lord. Why? Because there is lies in people's mouths that are coming against me. Right? 
Let all those rejoice with their trust in you. Why? Because you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. So we see this throughout the, 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 the psalm. All of these stanzas are addressed to God. Now this isn't important. All of these stanzas are addressed to God. But you see an alternating um, of righteous versus unrighteous. And I want you to remember what I said. They are all addressed to God. At times, like we said just now, you read all of the drama that's going on. Person feeling persecuted. Person feeling wronged. But who are they taking it to? Not to another person. They are not directing it at another person. They are directing it at God. So here, the righteous with God. Here, the unrighteous with God, their relationship. The next one, the righteous with God. The unrighteous with God in the fourth stanza. And once again, the righteous with God. A constant relationship is being shown. Amen? So there is a clear distinction of life with God, life without God. So in life, when we are aggrieved or wronged, our legal rights um, are somehow infringed upon, we take it to the law of the land. Amen? We go to a court of law where we have a judge who presides over what is actually going on. Now, in a natural court of law, we stand before this judge, but your feelings and, of, of, uh, and your expression of vengeance is somewhat suppressed. Okay? The judge doesn't want to hear all the, all the drama. Judge doesn't want to hear all the drama. But here in the Psalms, we see a kingdom citizen being allowed to express himself in the purest form before a just king. He's not taking it to man. He's taking it to the king of kings. Amen? So Psalm 5 begins with a series of synonymous parallelisms. So what does that mean? It means that you have an idea... You have an idea that's then expressed, the same idea is expressed in the second line in different words. Now, David uses something called explanatory synonymous parallelism. What does that mean? So, he gives a statement. He then explains it or puts it uh, across in different words, but he expands on the original statement. So what are we talking about here? So he says, here's an example. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Simple enough, right? Now he says in the second line, they consider my meditation. And meditation, like we said earlier on, um, could also be my complaints, my grievances, my groanings. So not just my word, everything else that is attached to this. He's explaining or going into more depth and detail, but saying it a little differently. In verse 3, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. 
So I, I, I'm going to pray to you in the morning, but I'm also going to wait expectantly. Okay? So what we actually see, so remember the setting now. I'm going to put a setting to this. We see that the righteous of God is coming to the court of God. He's bringing his complaint, his case, his appeal to the court of God. So, in the court of God, he has a kingdom citizen coming before the king, the ultimate judge. You've got to have a royal policy, right? So the royal policy that we're looking at this morning, check this out. When does he come? In the morning. He comes in the morning at the start of his day. He plans his entire day around God and not the other way around. The Bible in Genesis, the book of Genesis starts with, in the beginning, God, doesn't it? So here, he's giving an exemplary model of God was there before the beginning of time, before anything was created. God was there first. I will give God glory first in the morning, before anything. I'm being so, so challenged with that in this time. Has anybody else felt that you are the busiest ever at this point in time? We have to make a conscious decision to put first things first. Was there anything before God? Here's a royal policy. You coming before the king of kings, not before. Let me just, Lord, I need to just check this phone quickly. We know that never happens. That part of where we come to God after that. I just need to do this in the beginning, God. Our priorities today, we find ourselves going down a parallel path because our priorities have changed. We are not following kingdom principles anymore. In the beginning, God, there was nothing before God. Here he shows us, this is how we start out. When we have troubles, when we have petitions, when we have everything going wrong, don't go to your plan first. Start with God in the morning. Start with God in the morning. So, the royal policy, as we can see, continues all the way from 4 up to 7. And let's put it into context. So, David here says in verses 4, so we're looking at the royal policy as to why he feels he can stand in God's presence um, with confidence, right? So he says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So that's part of the royal policy. Why? Because he's expressing confidence in who God is. He's expressing confidence that he can come and stand in this royal court because God is a holy God. God is a just God. So that's one of the reasons why he feels that he can come. So he's getting things right in the morning by putting first things first, but then he's coming and giving praise to God and saying, all of these gods you are not, you are not, you are not, implies he knows who God is. 
He knows who God is. He knows the holiness of God brings him to this point of confidence. Then, in verses 7, As for me, I will not... I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. He realizes that he's in the presence of God, not because of his own good works. He's in the presence of God because of mercy and grace on his life. Amen? There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can do that's going to make us worthy to come into God's presence. He is holy. He is worthy. He gives us grace and mercy for us to come and petition before him. But we need to get things right. First things right. I just want to um, read this for you concerning getting things right. Morning prayer. Spurgeon says, this is the fittest time for intercourse with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the ground, let grace drop upon the soul. C.S. Lewis says this, It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning simply consists of shoving them all back. Listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, Letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on, all day. Stand back from your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. This is the way that we should be starting our day. There's never been a time where we have more noise than we do right now. Amen. So, if you look at here, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man, this basically is the whole gripe that is being, the whole appeal, the whole petition that is being brought before God is that destruction that is being caused by lies. I want to read you just something very quickly. And we, when we read this line here, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy because of God's mercy. This is from um, the book, The Necessity of Prayer, by Edward M. Bounds, and um, he quotes A.C. Dixon in it. A dear friend of mine who was quite a lover of the chase, of the hunt, told me the following story. Rising early one morning, he said, I hear the baying of a score of deer hounds in pursuit of their quarry. Looking away to a broad field, open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn, a baby deer, making its way across and giving signs moreover that its race was well nigh run. Reaching the rails of the enclosure, it leapt over and crouched within ten feet from where I stood. A moment later, two of the hounds came over when the fawn ran in my direction and pushed its head between my legs, I lifted the little thing to my breast and swinging round and round fought off the dogs. I felt just then that all the dogs in the West could not and should not capture that form after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So it is when human helplessness appeals to Almighty God. When 
Well, do I remember when the hounds of sin were after my soul until at last I ran into the arms of Almighty God. And this is the case here. We run to God because of His grace and His mercy, not once again because of anything good that we've done. 2 Corinthians 12 um, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen. So we see that the, the, the general grounds for the appeal has been made in, in the Psalms. This guy, David, can be here because of God's holiness. He can be here because of God's mercy. Nothing of him. And this breed brings him here to his first petition. Lead me, O Lord. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. So he's not taking moral high ground here. Rather, he's pleading for salvation. And why is he pleading for salvation? It carries on here. This supports what he's basically saying here. Lord, there is lies in their mouth. They are after my destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. So all these, these words here, uh, mouth, throat, tongue, all these combine to words. We use all of those words. Words can be destructive. Words can be, bring destruct, uh, destruction. An open tomb. The inward part here, I'd like to think, refers to the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Dead heart, dead and evil and destructive words. He's, he's, he's basically talking about the righteous versus the unrighteous here. Amen? Amen? Now, the second petition for help comes in verse 10, where he says, pronounce them guilty, O God. Hey, now this part, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their, their transgressions. It's like, cast them out of your sight. This is now coming to the point of, in a court of law, you cannot begin to use this type of language. You've got to hold it at bay. But here before the Lord, you are allowed to express yourself of what's inside. Remember like we said earlier on um, with um, Calvin and with Luther, seeing the heart of man? This is where it's coming out. We are seeing What's in the heart of man? But once again, it's not for you and I to go to man, but to go to God. Amen. In the imprecatory psalm, we see an appeal to the Lord to exercise His authority to judge the wicked from the, uh, from the righteous. We are allowed to be honest and transparent, but before the Lord. How many of us get that wrong? How many of us decide, Lord, I know you are righteous. I know you are just. But this one, I have got to handle. This one, I have got to take on. Lord, they've got to know. They've got to, but Lord, they've got, I'm going to bring it to you, but they, they must know. They must know. All of this, hang, this anger and hurt and want for vengeance is, however, wrapped in reverence and a fear for God. 
There is only one that can judge. There is only one that is without sin. So, if we look at here, the psalm pronounce, or says, Lord, pronounce them guilty. Throw them out of your sight. He says, who is he talking about? He says, these people that are evil, these people that are boastful, these people that are workers of iniquity, that are, that are sinful, those who speak falsehood, these who are deceitful. Is there anybody in here who that description does not apply to? Every single one of us sitting here this morning can say, oh, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. So what is he saying? Must we be damned? Must we be cursed? He's actually not saying that. He's highlighting that, yes, these things are so, but he's highlighting that there is a way. Okay? There is a way. David himself, remember, was a murderer. He was unfaithful. He was a flatterer. He did some crazy things. How could David be writing something like that if he himself was not blameless? There is only one who is without sin. John 5 verses 22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And yet, this sinless one who can call judgment down on us has not. He is the one that, is, that bears God's judgment against sin. He is the one that went to the cross and took on all of those sins. 1 Peter 2, 20, 20, 24 talks about Jesus on the cross, his body on the tree, standing in judgment for you and I. There's not one of us that are blameless, not even David that had written this. All of this that, that, that is going on in the psalm basically comes back to pointing to the cross. Pointing to the cross. Yes, we can be, be riled. Yes, we can breathe words of vengeance. Yes, we can be wronged by man. Yes, we can go to God and express how we really feel. We can go to God and express how we really feel. But that leads us to the cross. It doesn't stay with condemnation and breathing curses. We head back to the cross because not one of us is worthy to condemn and judge another. There is only one that is truly blameless. There is only one who can truly praise Psalms 5 and all the other imprecatory Psalms. He is the one who is taking judgment on himself. He is the one who prayed and said, Father, forgive them. Yeah. It's only in this light that we can pray these psalms. Amen, we can cry out for justice and lament where it lacks. But in the end, our cries for judgment, our cries for condemnation, our cries for, for wickedness uh, to be made right and all of that needs to point to the cross. Amen. It needs to point to the cross. And that is the function of this imprecatory psalm this morning. 
everything that we go through is going to lead us to the saving blood of Jesus Christ. You and I sit here this morning because of grace. We sit here this morning because of mercy. Nothing of what we have done. Nothing of what we have done. There is not one of us this morning who can say, I'm blameless. Yes, we've been wronged. Yes, we've been hurt. And God is saying, you know what? Don't carry that with you. Don't carry the spirit of unforgiveness with you. That's not your burden to bear. Come before the royal king, the just king. Lay it at his feet. Tell him how you feel. Tell him that you're wronged. Tell him that you're mad. If you need to, 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 to express, Lord, this is what I think you should do. But it's not for me to, 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 to judge. It's not for me. Remember, in the court of law, if you decide, I'm not going to go to the judge on this one. This one, I'm going to handle on my own. You could find yourself outside of the law, outside of the policy. You yourself could be found guilty based on what you are doing. You yourself could find yourself in a place where you are standing in the dock receiving that punishment. This is what the psalm shows us. Use the royal policy. Go to the king of kings. Express your pain. Express your anger at the king of kings. At the lord of lords. At the most high who is just. He is just. What do we do? We spread the falseness. We spread, express the destruction, the death coming forth from our tongues so easily. But have we started out the morning before God? Have we brought it before God and said, Lord, I am frustrated, but this is yours to sort out. How often do we take it on to man? Lord, I got this. Lord, I got this. This is for me. This, this one. No, no, don't worry about this one, Lord. Don't worry about this one, Lord. This one, I've got the gloves. I've got the gear for this. I will sort them out. God is just. God is waiting for us to come at his feet. It's by grace and mercy that we find ourselves where we are today. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we feel wronged, when we feel hurt, let's go back to the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nobody that has suffered more than Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. We have no right to judge anybody else. Let's go back to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you speak to our hearts. We come before you this morning not as those who are worthy, not as those who deserve anything, Lord. We are sinners. We have fallen so many times, Lord, 